This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. And you notice the title today is going to be God's Wills for Every Believer to Have a Pastor. And it's going to be a good lesson. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to help you. But I want to show you some books out of the bookstore. That's kind of in line with that. Uh, first was He Gave Gifts Unto Men. He Gave Gifts Unto Men. That's a, that's a Brother Hagen book. And the first year that we became pastors, 1992, that book came out right when we started pastoring. And uh, been to, I'd been to Bible school, been associate pastor, did a lot of things for a lot of years. But that book came out and really helped us start off in pastoring. The whole book's about what the book of Ephesians calls the fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That'll really help you understand uh, ministry gifts that God gives to the body of Christ. Plus, if by chance God has a call on your life for you to be a full-time minister, then this book will really help you to understand things about it you need to know because, you know, a, a lot of people don't really understand it. We're going to talk about the sermon, but uh, pastoring isn't just a Sunday morning one-hour time. You know, we're, 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 we're a pastor is like a general practitioner. In, in medicine, you know, you've got all kinds of surgeon specialists and you got blood doctors, heart doctors, bone doctors and head doctors and all kinds of doctors. And then you got a general practitioner, your family doctor that kind of knows a little bit about everything. He does the best of you to help you. Then if he has to, he refers you to a specialist or somebody else. Well, see, a pastor, God has anointed pastors and trained pastors. We could help people with marriage problems. Job problems, financial problems, kid problems, parent problems, <laughs> church problems, getting along with people. We're kind of a general practitioner in a lot of areas. That's the way God's wired us, where we have that in us. But anyway, you'll begin to understand some things about the difference between a traveling minister and a pastor. Or a prophet and a teacher. Or an apostle. And a pastor. That book teaches a lot of things from the Bible, but they're really good. Those will help you grow. And if you have a call of God in your life, they'll help you start seeing some things about yourself you need to know. And then we have one by Dr. Barclay called Building a Supernatural Church. Building a Supernatural Church. And that's another book that when we started pastoring, that book really helped me. There's so much to a church. We'll talk about some of it while we're preaching today. But if you want to understand more about church other than you come to church, you get out of your car, you come in, they do an offering, they do some singing, they do some preaching, and you go home. Well, there's a whole lot more to it that makes it work than that. And this will help you maybe find your place, what God has for you. And then I always like to show the devotions. This is my brother Hagen called Faith Food for Winter. We've got these little devotional books back there for summer, spring, winter, fall, different ones. And these are actually out of, out of his big book. We're out of those right now, his, his Faith Devotional. But these are little bite-sized nuggets. They're not deep Bible study. Brother Hagen influenced me more than anybody else. And so if you receive off the way I teach, these books will help you because I teach a similar, very similar to Brother Hagen's teaching style. I like to keep it, I'm not going to say keep it simple, stupid, because I don't want to call myself stupid. But I'll tell you what, a pastor does his congregation no good when he's so deep they leave confused. And so I like to keep it simple. And so this book has little bite-sized nuggets on faith and love and marriage and healing and money and every, everything you think of you need in everyday life. This has a little teaching every day. Take you about five minutes to read it and uh, think about it and get you started for the day. But those books are really good. And so we recommend those to anybody that uh, wants to keep on growing and have a, have a really good devotional. Those are really good. The bookstore has them. And we're getting ready to replenish, restock a bunch of things back there very soon. All right, today we're going to talk about God's will is for every believer to have a pastor. How many know that the Bible is the will of God? Amen. And I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I, I, I just want to talk about the will of God for a minute as we're getting started here, about the will of God. Number one, the Bible is the written will of God. It tells you the general... The general will guidelines for every every believer. The Bible's written to basically three groups of people. The Bible's written to Jews, the Old Testament, 
It's written to the world, which is people that don't know God yet. And that, that can be Old Testament, New Testament. It says things to them about you need Jesus, you need a Savior, you need to get saved, you need a Redeemer, you need to get right with God. And then the epistles are written to the church, the born-again Christians. That's the letters of Paul and the other apostles in the New Testament. Those aren't written to Jews. They're not written to sinners. They're written to you and me how to live, what to do. Then, of course, you got the Gospels, which are in between the Old and New Testament, which is Jesus' time on earth, what he did. And so, and so we as Christians need to know the written will of God for Christians, for the church of Jesus Christ. And so that's how you begin to get to know the will of God is to study the Bible, especially the epistles. But then there's a will of God for you, which you'll never know except by the Holy Spirit. And what, what happens there, you're in your prayer closet. And let's just say, for example, you're considering moving to a new city because of a job trade or something like that. Well, I know that for me, if I weren't, if I weren't a preacher, but I was a serious Christian like I've always been, if I was going to move to a new city, the first thing I'd be checking out would be what kind of Holy Ghost churches do they have in my city. It'd be more important to me to find a church that had my pastor, had the Word of God, had the Holy Spirit moving, than how much money that job was going to pay me. Amen. You don't know as a pastor how many people I've seen walk away from their salvation over the God of Mammon. Over the money, God. Because I know this, when I'm in the will of God, do what God wants me to do, money always shows up. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, that's money things, things on the earth, things you need, say they'll be added unto you. So the first thing you got to do to know the will of God, you got to be a person that spends time praying, reading your Bible and things like that. And, you know, this applies to marriage. I'll tell you what, 50% of the marriage battle in divorce arena is over with if you pray, first of all, and really find out, is this the one God wants me to marry? But then when you get married, that's when the battle starts. Not because of the mate. It's because the devil hates two Christians to get married. Amen. And so the first, the first, first step success in marriage, general practitioner coming out. First step for successful marriage is number one, you marry a born again Christian, but not just any born again Christian, the one you know in your heart God wants you marrying. And then number two, when you get married, both of you need to be committed to Jesus. Need to go to church, have a pastor that you know where that's where you're supposed to be at, and with the battle cubs, you need to recognize. That she's not my enemy. He's not my enemy. The devil wants to destroy this marriage and we're going to stand against him in the name of Jesus. That's the first thing you got to do is know that thing. But anyway, what I'm saying is this. Christians can know the general will of God he has for everybody. He wants every, he, number one, he wants the world to be born again. That's the will of God for every human being. Then number two, after born again, he wants them following him and find a church and a pastor. Number three, it's the general will of God for everybody. He wants them to tithe. He wants them to serve. He wants to be hooked up with the church family doing something besides just hanging out. I mean, that's the general will of God. But then the Spirit of God shows you all these other things of life. So that's kind of what we want to talk about today, how to be in position for the blessings of God. And so in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 36. But verse 35 tells us before that, that Jesus was going around from city to city and town to town, preaching, teaching, healing, and had been a traveling minister. So as a traveling minister, he saw a lot of crowds, a lot of churches. We have traveling ministers come here. Dr. Barclay is a pastor, but he travels to a lot of cities, in a lot of churches all year long. And then also people like Tony Cook, uh, Liz and Dana Nile, missionaries. A lot of people have come in here. They're not pastors, but they travel and they see a lot and they observe a lot. And so Jesus observed how people need, people need a spiritual father, somebody that stayed with them. So he said in verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And how many think that Jesus still is moved with compassion when he sees the multitudes? He's moved with the compassion and says because they fainted 
Well, my center cop says they were weary and they were scattered abroad. Almost like being scatterbrained, isn't it? Scatterbrained. As sheep having no shepherd. Jesus saw the multitudes that were goofed up and messed up and hurting and depressed in life. And obviously they were people that wanted to be close to God because they got to hear him preach. Says he was preaching, teaching, and healing, and multitudes were there. And I would say back then, it was the same it is now, that out of all the, out of all the millions of people, hundreds of thousands around Jesus then, they didn't all come to hear him. Because everybody wasn't interested. And so the ones he was looking at the compassion on were the ones that were interested, they were still messed up. And so today, there's still a lot of Christians that are born again Christians, and man, they're absolutely confused. They're going around saying things all the time, like, I don't have a clue. I don't know what to do. I'm just so messed up. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? I don't know what to do. I don't have a clue. I'm so confused. I can't sleep at night time. I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm just a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. But they're people that love Jesus, and they don't know what to do. And so Jesus says that he had compassion. These people were weary and tired of life. They were weary and tired of life. And I dare to say, there might be one or two people here today that are kind of weary and kind of tired, kind of confused. Not because you don't have a good job, not because you don't have a family, not because you don't have money, but just on the inside, you're confused and you don't know exactly what to do. You don't know which ends up, you don't know where to go. You talk to everybody, you've Googled everybody, but you're still a mess. Well, I got good news for you today. Jesus has the answer. Amen. He says they were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And so, you know, I think about that. I think I think everybody here probably is well aware that in the New Testament, Jesus calls us sheep, and He's our great shepherd. And He calls He calls pastors shepherds for the local flock of sheep. And so, in the natural sheep without a shepherd might wander to cockleburs or bad water or become an easy target for wild animals. And so sheep, when you study about sheep, everybody's got the picture of Jesus in the shepherd's robe, got the staff and all those kind of things. Well, the 23rd Psalm, it says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It says that the shepherd in Psalms 23 leads me to green grass and still waters. He leads me. And the thing is, Jesus leads you if you let him. You know, they had some rebel sheep and the rebel sheep got in trouble because rebel sheep would lead other sheep astray. And so sheep that let the shepherd lead them, the rod and the staff. Well, the staff was what he had the hook on it. Well, we get down the line, he reach over and get that hook around and point back in. And then the rod was if the, with, if the wolf or wild dogs like they have out in the desert come up, they could whop them. They take care of that. And so a, a, sh- a shepherd today has the Bible and the Holy Spirit to help correct you, get you in line, stop you from eating poison. What's poison? Bad doctrine. Wrong doctrine. Amen. Lead you in the right direction. And so that's what a shepherd does today. So Jesus said sheep need a shepherd. And so a believer, a believer without a pastor... This is your fill in the blanks. A believer without a pastor will wander through life confused and swallow any doctrine they hear. And that's like sheep. Sheep don't have enough sense to stay away from bad grass, bad weeds and things like that for the most part. They'll get into anything. That's why the shepherd watches them. They'll get into into the brambles and cockleburs And they'll get stuck to where they're easy prey for a wolf. And so the shepherd guides them from places that would cause them harm or to be destroyed. And so sheep without a shepherd will swallow anything with no spiritual oversight and no one to lead them through the narrow way to victory. Remember Jesus said, wide is the way that leads to destruction and many be that find it. He said, narrow is the way that leads to life, but few there be that go there. Well, see, the shepherd called by God 
can lead you the narrow way to victory. Amen. We're going to look at some of those things today, but this, we're talking about God's will is for every believer to have a pastor. Now, I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. And keep it in mind, I'm not teaching out of some, some man's uh, sermon book. I'm teaching out of the Holy Bible. Amen. God's the one that put it in the hearts of these men to put these words down, what to put in here. That's because God wants to help us to win in life. I know that myself, I determined a long time ago I was going to live long and I was going to live strong and do all God wanted me to do on this earth. And so, uh, you know, for my life, there's, 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 two, there's two arenas I need to function. I mean, many, but number one, my number one calling is to be a believer. Amen. And then my number two, in my, what I do is to be a pastor and a teacher. And along with all that, to be, to be a strong believer, not only must I read and study, but I gotta love my wife like Christ loves the church. Amen. Then I gotta train up my children the way they should go. And lots of things go with that. To be a believer, lots of things go with it. But for a pastor, to be an effective pastor for God, he's gotta be a serious believer first. And then I'll take that over to you. Whatever you do out there that God uses as His way of financing your life, if it's the railroad, if it's the marine base, if it's Fort Irwin, if it's even a Ford, Ford Motor Company, or wherever you're at, the number one thing for you to succeed there is to be a serious believer first. Amen. That's the first thing you do is be a serious believer. And you know what Jesus calls a serious believer? A disciple. And just think about disciple. Look at the word discipline. What's the first part of discipline? Disciple. What's a disciple? That's a student. Jesus' disciples were his first students. And so if you're going to be a student and you want the teacher to give you good marks, then you study the book to pass the test. And you know what, what, what I found out in life, I remember years ago, uh, and lots of years ago now, but, uh, you know, David made the statement. He said, I was young, now I'm old. Well, I won't say that. I said, I was young, now I'm older. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm older on my way to getting old. Let's put it that way. I'm older than I was, but I was around a long time ago as a truck driver where they had a thing called CDLs. So most everybody that knows anything knows CDLs is the federal license now. But I had a, called, called a chauffeur's license for a lot of years. And so I drove trucks for a lot of years where they had CDL license. And so with the chauffeur's license, I drove 18-wheelers. At 18-wheelers, I do a lot of things to do because by experience, I knew what made them drive good, what didn't when you maneuver through traffic. So I'm getting to a point. And so the thing was, we got down to where us guys have been around for a while. They're going to grandfather us in, just let us just, you know, just take, take a little test to do it. So I remember... In taking the test they wanted us to take, they got a bunch of old truck drivers, I don't say old, truck drivers together back in Indianapolis, and we went to a place, and all we had to do was take a written test to get it. I remember I answered all those questions, what trucking was really like. I remember one of them they had on there. It made no sense at all because some, some book learner put it in there that never drove a truck. And so I answered it the right way that all truck drivers would, but that wasn't the right way. It was the right way because a truck driver... But if you was a college guy that wrote the test, it wasn't the right way for him. And so I had to go back when they come and said, hey, you have to get this right. And so I said, well, that is right. I've been doing this every day for all these years. I said, that's the way you have to do it to be safe in traffic with cars. They said, oh, they said do it this way. And I said, I explained it to the people. I said, look at it. I said, that way there puts a car in danger. They said, that's the way you have to answer. You want to pass the test. So I asked it that way to pass the test. And so... Book of Proverbs says the way that seems right to a man, but then there are the ways of death. Well, God's got a way that's right in His book that doesn't make any difference what you think's right. God said this is right. And so if you want to pass God's test, you may have a lot of experience in life. Now, mine was on the side there. I know my way was the best way of that one. But in life, there might be a way that you think is right. And then you're hearing a sermon like this. And you're seeing things in your Bible, and all of a sudden you're thinking, wait a minute, my dad didn't do it that way. My grandma didn't do it that way. This is the way we always did it. 
Well, do you want something better? Amen. Do you want something better? Well, it might be time you have to change your thinking to the one that's the author of life. To the one that's moved into your heart and changed your life. He changed your life in your heart. Now he wants to change your thinking in your head. And when your head gets in agreement with your heart, because God shows you what's right, then you're on the road to success. Amen. And, and I, I want to throw this out here. The Lord gave this to me a couple of years ago from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Anyway, simply this. And I'll say, I'll say after 2019. 2019 will not end in success and failure by chance for you, but by choice. Your life is not going to end success or failure just by chance things happen, but by choice. Things happen to everybody, but through our faith in God's Word and our actions in life, we can change what comes at us to turn it around. Amen. If we will change how we believe, change how we think, to agree with what's written in the Word of God, and then if we will actually begin to put that into our lifestyle, we will change destiny in our lives. Get things turned around. Jeremiah 3.15, he said this. God said this. I will give you what? Where do pastors come from? From God. He said, I'll give you pastors according to mine heart. Or I like what Dr. Barclay says in that book I showed you about building the supernatural church. I'll give you pastors with my heart. God will put his heart in pastors which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so God said, I'll give you pastors or shepherds. And so God, now listen to this, this is Bible. God puts his heart of love and compassion and his gifting and ability in certain men and women to care for people as Jesus would. To care for people as Jesus would. And I want I want to say this again. You've got to receive the Bible with your heart, not your head. Because when you know in your heart this is God talking to you, then that can change your head. The Bible talks a whole lot about stiff-necked, hard-headed people. You've got to be willing to change, but you can't just you can't just change because you get a positive mental attitude. You got to change because it's in the heart. Then the heart helps the head to change because sometimes you've had habits that haven't been good habits. There are good habits and there's bad habits. You've had habits that have been bad habits a long time and it takes heart revelation from God to change how your head thinks. But Jesus said, I'll give you pastors with my heart. That's why in Matthew 9 verse 36, it says, Jesus said, I've got compassion on these people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Well, see, Jesus, because... Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus came down to earth. He's the one in Jeremiah that had Jeremiah write that. And so Jesus already knew that God said, I'm going to give you pastors of my heart. And so here Jesus is down here now in the Gospels, minister of the people, and he already knew it was God's will for people to have a pastor with God's heart. And so then Jesus says, oh boy, I don't like this. These people are fainting. They're weary, they're confused, they're messed up in life because they don't have a shepherd yet. Amen. And so God said, I've got the answer for that. And remember, we're talking about why it's God's will for every believer to have a pastor. Amen. And so he said, he said, I'll give you pastors of my heart. Then it says, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. That's why I like those Brother Hagen books, those Dr. Barclay books, those simple books. When I was on your side, and this is something I think maybe sometimes that people don't really realize, at one point in time for a lot of years, I was one of the guys sitting out here, most of the ones up here, showed me what to do. But I had in my heart God wanted me to be a pastor, so after a season of being proven by God and learning things and knowing things, then God put me up here so I could talk to the ones out there. Amen. And I like what I heard a guy say one time. God put me up here to help you because I've got something that will help you. If he wanted you to be the one that knew it all, and I don't know it all, but if he wanted you to be the one, he'd have you up here and I'd be sitting out there. And so I learned when I was out there to shut up and listen. 
And then I learned, I learned that if it's in the Bible, and I know it's in the Bible, it's God talking to me, that I'm going to change and do what they said. Because it's in the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? And so he said that, and this again, it's a hard thing to get. If God said a pastor will feed you with knowledge and understanding, take God at his word. Amen. And so knowledge and understanding. And so the Lord put this statement in my heart and I wrote it out because I thought, boy, that is good. A true God-called and gifted pastor is a spiritual leader to help bring order into your life. To help bring order into the into your life. What's 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 the opposite of confusion and befuddled? You got an order in your life. You got things put up. And I'll tell you what, I kind of, in the natural, have been experiencing this little arena for about since October. We sold our house, and a lot of you know that. We bought a ranch. Uh, she and I aren't spring chicks, so we've accumulated things over the years. We've got a lot of stuff. We give a lot of stuff away. Got a lot of stuff, tools, boxes, clothes, all kinds of stuff still in boxes, some scattered around. It's a terrible thing when you want to put up a doorknob for three weeks and you know where all your drill bits are. And you got every kind of drill. You got drill press, half a dozen kinds of drills and all kinds of stuff, but you don't have the drill bits. So you want to go buy some now because of shoplifters that got drill bits locked up. And so you got to use your faith to call somebody, come over, unlock a case so you can buy a drill bit. But anyway, life has been frustrating for me for two or three months because I got stuff but don't know where it's at. But that's not my lifestyle. That's just a temporary thing going through. But there's Christians that I've heard a lot of stuff, but they don't know how to pull it out. Talk about spiritual things in life, natural things in life, and you're confused. And you think sometimes things like this. Well, preachers say you shouldn't sleep with somebody till you marry them. But all my friends, my grandmas and grandpas, everybody else says, you got to try it before you buy it. So what's right? They say you ought to live together for a while so you know them. You don't really know them until you sleep together. So what's right? You know, that's confusion. And so, you know, lots of things like that. Well, preachers say God ought to get 10% of your money. But my investor says it's okay to give a little bit to a church, but you need to save some for the future. What should I do? Well, when you're hearing the Bible being taught and a pastor's feeding you with Knowledge and understanding, you begin to realize why God wants you to have a covenant with Him and the one you sleep with that He calls marriage. Then you understand why. You know, I know that a long time ago when I remember people always did things that they shouldn't do, but I remember before society condoned it, it used to be that it was a shameful thing to be living together, not married. But, but I remember I saw a little cartoon one time in the paper there's a little kid walked up to a grandpa. They said, Grandpa, what did your grandma do for safe sex? Held up his hand. He said, a wedding ring. Hey, anyway, that's general practitioner again. Get out there. Help you with your life. And the money thing. When the pastor says, it's not just the pastor. He's telling you what God says. Bring 10% in to give it to God. And then he helps you understand that God rebukes the devil for you. God pours out the blessing on your job, on your home, on your car, on your health, on your children, on your life, etc. You begin to understand, oh, that's what it is. It's not a preacher wanting to take my money. It's God saying, honor me with 10% and your whole life will have the blessing of God on it. And so all those different things there, it begins to take the confusion away when you have a pastor that shows you those. Anyway, a pastor that's called to get to by God and walking in obedience to God will help bring order to your life. Jesus doesn't want you to wander through life in fear and confusion. That's why he gave us pastors. Now I want to look at some biblical guidelines for pastors. And when I when I was putting this together last week, I didn't I didn't really know what God was doing with it, but then he made it into this for today. And so I refresh myself. I take refresher courses of the Bible for myself, not somebody's courses, but Bible things where I go through 
really quite frequently about his guidelines for me to make sure I'm walking where he wants me to walk. So biblical guidelines for pastors. Look at Acts chapter 6. And the book of Acts is the genesis of the New Testament. Genesis starts off the human race. The book of Acts starts off the Christian family. And so this is the genesis of the New Testament. And there's biblical guidelines in here for pastors that begin to be spelled out in the book of Acts. And I want to say this. Just because someone is called to pastor doesn't mean they bear pastor fruit. How many of you have ever noticed that? Just because somebody has the title doesn't mean they walk in the office. They walk in it. But anyway, as pastors, we must qualify by obeying God's instructions for pastors. Just like believers, there's fruit of the Spirit that every believer should walk in. And so just because somebody says, I'm a Christian, if they don't live like a Christian, then all they've got is a name, but they don't have the reality of it. Just because somebody went to Bible school and has a title doesn't mean that they're walking the reality of being a pastor. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, I want you to notice this. It's a new church that is growing. There's thousands of people already. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there rose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason, it is not right, that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so what was going on, there's a lot of natural things doing that. Thousands of people, and these people were obeying God and helping take care of widows and poor people and give it out. They didn't have the welfare system. They had God in the church. So they were doing a lot of things to help a lot of people. And you get that many people together, it's just like today. People get mad because they think somebody got more. think somebody didn't get enough. And they were fighting. And the, and the 12 apostles at that time were the leaders of the whole church. And so they were getting all caught up in all those natural things. So wait a minute. Said it's not right. We've got to spend time with God. We've got, we got to have something from heaven to help these people with. And so said, find, find some men that we can point over this. So they can start doing what it takes to this natural side. So this is called helps ministry. These guys were called helps. They were helping the pastors to be able to serve the people, meet the natural needs. I want to show you something. Hold your place. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. And, you know, if you're a new Christian... Or you're a Christian hasn't been really around where the Bible's taught in detail. Some of this stuff may be new to you, but you may not have heard it. But it's God's instructions for the church, God's instructions for pastors. And notice verse 28 in 1 Corinthians 12 says this, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, the gifts of healings. And then notice these two words. Helps and governments. Helps and governments. And so in the local church, there's basically two categories of people in the local church. It's either those that govern or those that help the ones that are governing. And who do you think governs the local church? Well, the number one, the president, the CEO, the one that answers to God for the church is the pastor. And then the pastor staff, and if you have associate pastors like we have some here, that's the pastoral staff we govern. What's government for? To keep order, to make sure things are done right, to make sure there's plans, to be able to tell the other people, here's the plan, here's what we do, to take care of disorder, if something happens, to put things back in order. That's what government does. But then it says governments and helps. And what does it say? God put in the church governments and helps. And so God put pastors in the church, and now God put helpers in the church. And, you know, I think about our church this morning. I was thinking, as I looked up the praise team, saw those people up there. I was thinking, that's one group of helps. They're helps in me this morning to be able to preach. Because what they did in their part up there, that part of the helps group helped bring in the anointing of God. 
They helped bring us into worship where the Spirit of God could move because they did stuff that I can't do. But I do something they can't do. They can't do what I'm doing unless they're called to be a pastor teacher. But I'm not called to be a praise leader at a team that sings together like that. I would bring disorder. But they brought order. You see what I'm saying? And so I was thinking about that part of the help saying they were helping me govern. And then I thought about the usher team. I looked around all these handsome ushers we got everywhere doing what they're doing. They have, they have a call of God help bring order into the service of directing people where to go, what to do, to help take care of receiving offerings, to help people to get prayed for, to have them stand in the right place to be able to minister. See, that's helps. That's helps of governments. And then I got to thinking about the children's church, about the nursery, about the different groups of the church, and every one of these people have a job at a college as important as mine is. I can't do mine if they're not helping me. they got to help me to do my job and so then what I do, in turn, I feed them, I lead them, I help them to be strong in the Lord, and then they help me to get more people to be ministered to out there. So all the different segments of the church are called helps. And then we got the governments. And isn't God cool that he set this up in advance, but he said over the whole thing, I want to put pastors. Amen. And so anyway, back to Acts chapter 6. And so, the, in verse three verses, they said, we gotta have some men to help us take care of all these people in this natural arena. And so God gifts and calls congregation members to help take care of the, of the natural side of church business. Take care of the natural side of church business. I sure am glad we have the people anointed to take care of all those numbers for the IRS. And put those letters together. Thank you, Katie and company. All use it. Get all those numbers together for them. And then take care of all the stuff with all the business people. All the government regulations. We, You don't know how much goes on in government and church. Amen. I'm not going to talk about inspections and things. Praise God. We got our annual inspection. And in 30 days, we'll ever think we're supposed to be to pass the annual inspection. But so much goes on. But guess what? If the pastor spent all of his time preparing for annual inspections, audits, and all the stuff we do, you know what you get on Sunday morning when I come here? <laughs> like that, but praise God, the different people with the different callings they have in their lives can do what they do and just do their area and do it excellence because God called them to do that. Let's give a hand to Jesus for the helps, helps ministry. And I'll just throw this out here. If you're ever in the church and you see lacking areas, and you're thinking, boy, oh boy, why don't they do this? Why don't they do, why don't they do this? Well, guess what? Maybe God's talking to you. That you're the one we've been praying for. And maybe I had a neon sign advertising. We need help, 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 help. And you're seeing the need, 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 need. It might be the time you need to come up to me or Mrs. Pastor or one of the leaders and say, hey, I've been noticing. Well, guess what? We noticed a long time before you did. We're praying for you to come in and do it. <laughs> You've been noticing. If you're noticing... You need to come and talk to us then to let us know that, number one, you're either already trained and qualified, you know how to do that well, or number two, you're willing to learn. You want to do it well. Amen? And so that's how it does it. God puts it on people's hearts. So anyway, then, I want you to notice then, in verse 4, it says, then Peter says, but we, after we have these people positioned, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Qualifications for a pastor, associate pastor, the elders, church leader, is to give ourselves continually to prayer, the ministry of the word. So after a pastor has holy men and women in place to take care of the natural things, a pastor's number one and number two instructions from God is to spend much time in prayer and teaching sound Bible doctrine to God's people. Spend much time in prayer and teaching sound Bible doctrine to God's people because God does not want his people confused. God wants people to get direction. And I know that for myself, I don't have any big books that have uh, sermon suggestions in them. I don't, I'm not on any Google sites that Google stuff to me and say, Hey, Pastor, why don't you preach this? I go into my prayer closet with Jesus 
on a continual basis. And I say, Jesus, because you know everything and everybody, I ask you to look at next Sunday service. And Jesus, look at the faces. Who's going to be here? And Lord, I ask you. Now listen to this. This is very real. I ask you to give me the answers for the questions they have about life right now. Lord, I ask you to look at next Wednesday. Tell me who's going to be here Wednesday night, Lord. You know and I don't, but you knew. Lord, what are they dealing with right now in life? What do you want to tell them right now to help them? And without fail, every service, for all my ministry life pretty much, every service, as I'm at the door, anywhere from one, two, three, sometimes a half a dozen, dozen people, you were talking right to me. You were talking right to me. Well, that's because I asked Jesus what you need to hear from him to help you. And that's why you said that, because he said, I'll put my heart in pastors. They'll feed you with knowledge and understanding. So it's a God connection that makes this thing work. But it works because I have men and women of honest report for the Holy Ghost of wisdom working all around this church all the time to help us do things. So I can do what? Sit around and play goofy video games. And watch goofy shows all day and all night like that. They come in and tell you, guys, <laughs> I'd like to hear from God too. No. We give ourselves to prayer. To the ministry of the word. So we come in, we can give you something you need to help you. Amen. Can you see how God's plan works? Yeah, give the Lord a hand. That's a good thing to do. And, and so I want you to go to, to uh, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Yeah, we'll look at verse 27. This is so good because we're helping you to understand why Jesus wants you to have a pastor. And, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just say this. For any goofy, deceived people, you know, if that's you, just keep a straight face and nobody knows you but you and God. But any, for any goofy, deceived people that listen to this demonic thought that says, I can stay at home, study my Bible, and do just as good as you, then tell Jesus how come he was so deceived. He said, I will give you pastors to feed you knowledge and understanding. If Jesus thought you could do it on your own, why would he say, I'm going to give you pastors? You know what that's like? That's like my son, Job. When he was a little kid, played little league baseball. Job's always been a sports guy, athletic guy. I'll never forget his, his, his first game. <laughs> He's sitting there. And of course, they always you know, put these kids in right field, stuff like that. So, got the first Little League baseball game, and Joe's, what, seven years old or something like that. They're playing baseball, and Joe's sitting there in right field, looking at the fence, and his back's to the team. And they're playing ball. And so, after it's over with, that's my son. You know, I talked to Joe after it's over with, and, and, and I'll never forget Joe's words. I said, Joe, I said, come on, man. Listen to your coach. You're supposed to be watching those guys. What if they hit a ball to you? He said, I'll have to list those coaches down. I know more than they do. He said, I know it all. They don't know anything. Well, you know what? Sad to say, there's a lot of Christians that come to this church and other churches same way. Come in, and they hear something like this, and they're sitting there, and on the outside, they're like this, but on the inside, they're like this. And I'll see them again in three months. And they didn't hear a word I said today, because they could be just the same as I am and never come to church. But, Jesus said, I'll give you pastors to feed you of knowledge and understanding. And so, if you don't want to be confused or goofed up in life, take Jesus at his word. Amen. So, Acts 20, 27 says this. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. And so, a true pastor will step on your spiritual toes sometimes and make you uncomfortable. Don't raise your hand. But how many got uncomfortable the last couple minutes? <laughs> All right, just say amen or oh me. <laughs> you remember the old saying, we don't just tell you what, to, what you want to hear, we tell you what you need to hear. There's people need to hear this, that this confusion, this just all messed up in life right now, there will become clarity to your life if you listen this morning what the Bible said to you. Help you get to dip. Okay. Verse 28 then. Guidelines for pastors. I want you to notice a couple things here to start off with. Number one, he said, take heed therefore unto yourselves. A pastor must have a close intimate relationship with Jesus 
through prayer and Bible time. And then he says, and to all the flock, a pastor has nothing for you till he has had quality time with Jesus. I don't have anything for you if I haven't had my time with Jesus. I can tell you some good things because I've lived a long time, know some Bible, but if you want anointing and faith, I've got to have my time with Jesus. And so you must have faith and anointing to release faith and anointing to others. And, you know, I think about that part there. Take heed to yourselves, pastors, number one, and then number two, then you can help the flock. Think about the airplanes. Anybody ever flown on an airplane? You know, they do the little thing up there. The girl stands up there, a guy, they do all the stuff, and they, they get the oxygen mask. Then they pull it down like that, and they stretch it back and show it up on your belt and drop down. And then they'll say, if you have elderly people with you, or you have young children, or people that can't take care of themselves, they always say this, put your mask on first, and then help them. Because how can you help them if you say, oh, my baby, and you pass out? Then you and the baby both go. Or you got some elderly person that can't really function right now, and you say, oh, i got to take care of them, and you pass out. You can't take care of them. And that's why a pastor, a real Bible pastor, will not let anybody interrupt them in their prayer closet during their Bible time. You know, there's, there's, times, there's, there's times during the week when you have an emergency, you want to talk to the pastor, you better call 911. <laughs> because when I'm in that time with Jesus, getting instructions for the whole flock, and getting faith for me, if I come out of there and I come in here, I'm not prepared. Why is that? Because I fainted. I got worried. Because I didn't have what it takes to do what I got to do. You understand what I'm saying? He said, pastors, here's qualifications. Number one, take care of you. Number two, take care of them. One, one cancels out the other. If you don't do it God's way, you got to do it God's way. So anyway, well, I guess I, oh, I'm thinking about some pastors I've seen. I've seen too many pastors that they're jack of all trades and master of none. They're the church electrician. They're the church dog catcher. They're the church janitor. They do everything. And then, then besides that, they're the buddy of all the people. And I learned this. Do you want a buddy's anointing or you want a pastor's anointing? You can have lots of buddies in the church, but you only got one pastor. And so, Mrs. Pastor, I've always enjoyed when we can go to the birthday parties for the kids and stuff, but they have the invited to a birthday party in a house or down at the pizza place or something. Or sometimes they have a fast special family function, different things like that. But as the church gets bigger, if we're going to be everybody's buddy all of a sudden, then you come to see me. Well, who's your pastor? Buddy Bernie. He's my buddy. Well, do you ever get anything? Well, no, I used to, until he became my buddy. I don't get anything anymore much anymore. He tells good jokes. But when you have a pastor that spends his time with God, and then comes out with something for you, you'll find plenty of buddies, but you'll still have that respect for the pastor. Because you see the pastor walking where he's supposed to walk, and you come in, and see, well, I guess what it comes down to, you get too close to pastors, you find out they're real people. And some people can handle that, but most people can't. And so when we walk where we're supposed to walk, and allow you to do what you're supposed to do, we need you to do the electrical work that he's done sometimes. We need you to do the vacuuming. We need you to do these other things. And if we can spend time in that prayer clause, you come in, the anointing you have in here to do things around here take you right to your job. And on your job, people look at you and say, wow, nobody's ever done this like you. You may not be doing it with more knowledge than what they've got, but the excellence that comes through you because of God's anointing on you, because you excel on that job, and that that filters right out in, into promotions and raises, where they're looking at people, checking things out. They look at a half a dozen people, and they see the They may not know what it is, but the anointing worked in your area, and it caused things to go smoother. People got along better. That's because it all goes back to that pastor's prayer closet. Because he was a pastor, came in and fed you with knowledge and understanding. So you walked closer with God, which came right into your family and your job. Amen. Somebody give the hand, the Lord a hand for that. Okay, then notice he said, over which the Holy Ghost 
hath made you overseers. Being a pastor is not a secular job or career like the world thinks. In John chapter 10, Jesus told us the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling. A hireling is a professional preacher working his way up the ladder trying to get a bigger church. To try to get more recognition among people because he's a professional. A pastor always wants to grow his church. A pastor would always like to have more people. But if a pastor's got ten people, he pastors those ten people. If a pastor's got a thousand people, he pastors a thousand people. In other words, whoever it is that comes in, we're not looking for promotion. Hey, I hope, I hope somebody gets a hold of this season. How good I am and lets me take over that church over there. They got, they got a thousand people there. I want to go there. They got ten thousand people. I want to go there. That's a professional. A pastor thinks, I want to help these people come in here. I see Norma. I see Alex. I see Dave over there. I see Lauren. I see Ruol. I see these people that need God more and they're here. And when they come in here, I'm here for them. I'm going to treat them like there's nobody else here. And so when I'm, when I'm preaching, I don't think about any one of you. I think about all of you. I let the Holy Ghost through me and reach out to you. And I'm not thinking, oh, boy, I just wish I'd get a bigger church. All I'm thinking is this. I'm going to answer to God for these people. These people need a shepherd. And I'm the one God chose to be their shepherd. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not a hireling. Jesus in John chapter 10, if you remember that verse there, Jesus said, a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Said, a hireling flees. When the wolf comes. And the Lord told me what that was like. The Lord told me one time, when I was a, when I was a young pastor, studying that pastor, said, Jesus, what does that mean when you said that a hireling flees when the wolf comes, but a good shepherd lays down his life? He said, that's like the difference between a mom and a babysitter. House catches on fire. Mom stays there till the last one's out, even if she dies. Fire comes, babysitter's out the door. Help, help, fire! But they're out of there. Well, a professional preacher... A professional preacher when the church is in trouble will flee and save his hide. A pastor stays and says, hey, I'll tell you what, if the ship goes down, I'm the captain. I'll go down with it. But the main thing is I'll do everything I can to keep this ship floating. Do everything I can to make this thing go. I'll do everything I can to make sure Mike and Betty call on me. I'll be there for them. Dennis and Janelle need me. I'll be there for them. I will be there for what God's given me to help them. Because that's what a pastor is. Because we know the Holy Ghost made us overseers. And so, being a pastor is a very serious high calling from the Most High God, anointed by the Holy Ghost. It says, to feed the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. To feed the church of God. And so, to feed means we shepherd, tend, feed, and guide. And so, our job is to make sure that people get born again, people get discipled, people get the help they need. I want to close with 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at one more passage really quick. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. And, 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 and the heart's desire of Jesus today is for you to know for yourself that Jesus has a good plan for your life as a born-again Christian, your pastor of your local church needs to be right in the middle of that plan if you want everything to work right. And so First Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Peter said this, The elders which are among you, talking about pastors, the ones God put over the church, I exhort, he said, I'm also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory should be revealed. Number one, he says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And so remember in the book of Acts, we saw there, he said, overseers over the flock of God, overseers. Now he said, take the oversight thereof. A pastor must answer to Jesus about the direction a church goes. A true pastor knows this. And spends enough time with God to make sure he follows God's plan for that church. To make sure he follows God's plan for that church. He says, taking the oversight. You can't be a weenie or a wimp and be a pastor. You know why? 
You're going to have people come in here that want, for example, we really support missions, actually involve a lot of missionaries, but we're not what you call a missions church where the pastors all the time go into countries and taking groups all the time. This stuff, but we're very much a part of it. We're not a missions church. There's a lot of missions churches around because God called them to that. We're not, we're not a, we're not a, uh, working all the time feeding the hungry on the streets church. We do stuff like that. That's not our main calling. We're a church that's a word church. God's going to judge this pastor, this church, for did I feed you the meat of the word? Did I show you how to act on the word? Did I show you how to live in your marriage life? Did I show you from the Bible how to train up your children? Did I show you from the Bible how to receive healing from God? Did I show you in the Bible how to come through a crisis of life? Did I show you in the Bible how to manage your money so you wouldn't be poor? We are a very strong teaching church. That's why we're called Word of Faith Church. And so I take the oversight of this church and I don't allow anybody to come in take us on a road we're not supposed to be on. Yes, we believe in feeding the poor and we do that. Sometimes we have people that takes groups out around Barstow and takes clothes and food and stuff out and they help the poor. We believe in that. But the only way we can do that is number one, calling teach you the word of faith strong. We believe in going to nursing homes and hospitals and prisons and jails. All those things we believe in, but we're not a jail ministry. We believe in sending people to jails, but that's not a number one calling. You see what I'm saying? He said, pastors, he said, the elders among you, I exhort, he said, take the oversight. Find out what did God call your church to do. And you pastors, you train the people to do that. And so my number one thing I do is get so much victory in you. Get so much victory in you that you're a soul winner wherever you go. I get so much victory in you, you're not afraid to go to the prison and find out about a prison call. You're not afraid to go to the hospital, find out about a seriously contagious person really hurting. And you know, God put in your heart to go pray for them. I put victory in you. We have a hospital visitation team. We have ministry teams to do a lot of things. But my number one calling is this. I get so much victory in you, you'll get promoted on your job because you walk around so much authority in you from God. And you know who you are in Christ and wherever you go, All you ever think about, I'm a winner in Christ. I'm a winner in Christ. I'm not a loser anymore. I've been born again to win. And so I know what God has called this church to do is raise up strong believers. That's our number one calling. And so all these other areas we do, they're all like, they're all like spokes at a wheel. The number one hub is Jesus and the Word in this church here that we have a lot of spokes. Amen. Amen. And so then, last thing right here, verse number three, says, Neither is being lords over God's heritage. Over God's heritage. And the Greek says, those entrusted to you. I know that none of you would be here if God hadn't sent you. God sent you here for one reason. He knew I had in me from him his love, his anointing, his grace, and his gift to help you win help you through rough places of life, to raise you up out of the darkness into light, to raise you up from being looking down to looking up to heaven and know that wherever you go, you're going to come through it. Those entrusted me, neither to be lords over God's heritage, but for me to be an example to the flock. And so a pastor, a pastor leads by example, not rules with an hard fist. I want to say that again. A true Bible fast pastor, he's not a weakly nor a wimp, and he leads by strength, but he doesn't beat the sheep. Amen. We have strength, but we're examples. And so, my closing statement is this. Jesus said, sheep need a shepherd. But also, then he told me to tell you this, that a shepherd needs sheep to help with the ministry. And next week, Mrs. Pastor will pick up there and talk to you about helping with the ministry. Because it, we work together. And by working together... We've got a place where you can safely bring your family, your friends, co-workers. You can bring them in here, and we're going to help them to grow and turn into winners in life, too. But it takes us working together. You need me. I need you. Jesus needs both working together. Doing that together, we're going to do things to absolutely 
change your families and change, change the people you work with that we, we can help. Amen. Well, let's stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.